Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 217. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you want to support the Brian McClanahan Show, go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. That's B-R-I-O-N mcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way. Help keep these lights on if you're watching on YouTube. Help keep the podcast going. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. And those that do enroll get the best deals on forthcoming courses. And within the next week, if you're watching this the week of March 18th, you will have an opportunity to pre-order my newest course, Reconstruction and Recreation. It is a fantastic 25-lecture course. You're going to want to get it. And it's going to have the best and lowest price in this pre-order period. You won't get it that low again. So you're going to want to enroll because I'm only going to let the people that are on that list know when it's out and when you can pre-order it. So uh, you're going to want to do that. I also have five other classes there for purchase. So you've got a lot of material and I will have two more coming out this year. So I'll have three classes here in 2019 and you're going to want to get all of those. I think that you're going to enjoy them. You're going to like them all. And uh, they also support the show. Uh, you can also support the show by going to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It is a great website, a lot of bang for the buck, over 20 classes. Philosophy, economics, history, I teach there along with, of course, Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, uh, Jeff Herbner, a lot of great people. So you're going to want to get on that too. Uh, it is an awesome website. So you're going to have McClanahan Academy for... Uh, some courses that I, actually all the courses I offer there, um, you got some great stuff. And then uh, you've got some other things that you can get from me at Learn True History. So uh, if you want more of me besides this podcast, which of course is always free unless you want to contribute, um, you can do that. And of course, you can always get your McClanahan uh, Show gear, Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name. You've got lots of cool stuff, t-shirts, cups, skins for electronic devices, stickers, wall plates, wall clock, all kinds of great stuff. So go out to redbubble.com and get your Brian McClanahan Show logo gear. All right. All that said, let's talk about the topic for the, uh, for the day. And that is something that has to do with the Federalist Society. Now, this comes way of Kevin Goodsman. He sent me a message saying, hey, do you want to write something on this topic? And it has to do with the Federalist Society. So I know I have uh, lawyers that listen to this particular podcast, and maybe you're in the Federalist Society. Maybe you're involved with it somehow. Maybe you're in a student chapter. Maybe you were in, you were in a student chapter. Uh, maybe you still go to their conferences or do things with them. Well, you need to be aware of this because they've done something rather interesting, uh, and that is they have renamed the Paul Bader Award the Joseph Story Award. 
So uh, Kevin sent me a message saying, um, you know, we, someone needs to say something about this because Joseph's story, this is an awful decision. Uh, now, when you look at the, the Paul Bader Award, let me, let me read what this award is supposed to do. It says, quote, the Paul M. Bader Award was established in 1989 in memory of Professor Paul M. Bader, a renowned scholar and teacher of federal courts and constitutional law. Professor Bader taught at Harvard Law School from 1959 to 1982 and from 1983 to 1985, and at the University of Chicago from 1985 until his untimely death in 1989. He also served as Principal Deputy Solicitor General in 1982 and 1983. The ward was created to recognize promising young faculty members under the age of 40 whose life, work, and ideals most closely resembled those of the late Paul Bader. It was awarded at the Federal Society Annual Event Symposium from 1989 to 2017 to an academic who demonstrated excellence in legal scholarship, a commitment to teaching, a concern for students, and was made a significant public impact. So now uh, that award will be the Joseph Story Award. Um, and this is a travesty uh, to name something the Joseph Story Award. And here's why. Now, I've chapter 11 of my book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, focuses, focuses exclusively on Joseph Story. And uh, you might be questioning, well, why is that in a book on Alexander Hamilton? Well, because Joseph Story was continually, Hamilton, continuing Hamilton's nationalist dream, and he was making stuff up as he went. So I've got a whole chapter on this. I'm going to condense this down into about 20 minutes and talk about this particular chapter in the book. I am going to read sections of it. If you've never purchased this book, it's a good time to do it. I also have a class on Hamilton on McClanahan Academy. Um, so you can, you can purchase that there. Uh, but this... Uh, this particular topic is near and dear, and so I told Kevin I can't write anything on it right now because I am trying to wrap up this class, and I'm doing a lot of, of talking for that, and I just don't have a lot of time to write. I also am, of course, presenting at the Mises Scholars Conference, the um, Austrian Research Conference, this Friday coming up. Uh, so if you're in Auburn you want to see me in person, you can go to that. I, do, I make very few public appearances for speaking, but I will be there for that. Friday at the Austrian Research Conference. Maybe you're already going, uh, but I'll be doing a presentation there first in the first session. So uh, I'll be talking about uh, Southern history, in fact. Uh, but um, so it, you bring your books. I'd love to sign them. But here we go. I'm, I'm going to talk about this because uh, we should not be thinking of Joseph Story as an originalist. And that's the problem. In fact, Edwin Meese um, the former attorney general has stood up and said, a Joseph Story, and I'm actually going to uh, to read this. He was the, uh, Edwin Meese, if you don't know, he's the former attorney, attorney general at the uh, in the Reagan uh, White House, and uh, he was also the Ronald Reagan Distinguished Fellow Emeritus at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Edwin Meese called Joseph Story a champion of originalist thought. Now, this is completely incorrect. Joseph Story might be a champion of textualist thought. And there are things to say, well, I mean, I can understand why people might like Joseph Story. Except that he makes things up as he goes. Uh, you know, you might look at Joseph Story and say, well, here's a guy that likes Edmund Burke. Uh, he's a good, solid conservative. He's, he's against the ravages of democracy and these kind of things. Okay, uh, that's fine. Uh, but his, his commentaries on the Constitution which form the basis of all the love affair for Joseph Story, are one of the worst books ever written on the Constitution. Without question, 
They're one of the worst books ever written on the Constitution. Three volumes. Now, why did Joseph Story do this is the big question. Well, because he can make a lot of money. Uh, in fact, um, as I point out in, in How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, uh, his three-volume, he was, first of all, he was the Dane Professor of Law at, uh, at Harvard. He was also sitting on the Supreme Court, and he wrote this three-volume treatise on the Constitution. He was making more money as a professor of law and on his commentaries on the Constitution than he was a Supreme Court justice. This is unprecedented. Nobody in the history of the Supreme Court has done this except for Joseph Story. You see, Joseph Story was capitalizing on his federal position. <clears throat> Why wouldn't you want to buy the commentaries on the Constitution from a Supreme Court justice? Why not? I mean, this guy's on the bench. You might as well see what he thinks about the Constitution. That's exactly how he's going to decide and make his uh, rulings as uh, justice on the, on the Supreme Court. Um, so, uh, now he did actually rule, uh, issue a majority opinion at one point. Um, so, when he was on the Marshall Court, um, so uh, he's, he's following Marshall's lead, uh, but um, he was appointed by James Madison in 1811. Here's another situation. Well, how, how come we wouldn't like a guy that's appointed by James Madison? I mean, the father of the Constitution appointed Joseph Story to the bench. In fact, uh, the reason we wouldn't want to like it is because James Madison later wrote that this was one of the worst political decisions of his life in appointing Joseph Story to the bench. Joseph Story was a wild card when he was appointed. He was very young. Didn't really know what he was getting into. Uh, at least Madison didn't know what he was getting into. It seemed that Joseph's story was going to be a good decision. He was just a bad decision. But, um, you know, other Supreme Court justices write, have written op-eds and been on the speaking circuit and these kind of things. But to actually write a three-volume treatise on the Constitution, unprecedented. Um, and his commentaries have become kind of the definitive uh, study on the uh, on the Constitution, along with the Federalist essays. This is this is why Joseph Story is so problematic, and why I dedicated an entire chapter to him. I had to take him down a notch because he is not correct about originalism. He's not correct about the original Constitution. In fact, uh, he distorts original intent in these three volumes. Um, and I say here, uh, his book royalties, in fact, were three times as much as his annual salary on the bench. So he's out there championing these uh, these books. And of course, as a professor of law, he's seeing all kinds of law students. Uh, I mean, that is that is a huge deal. We, we take it for granted how much impact a professor can have at a university, a major university. Uh, and here, there's, there's several reasons for this. And I've, I've focused on education before, but, um, you know, I teach at a, at a, not a university, at a, at a small two-year college. So my impact is, uh, as far as the students I have, is fairly limited. Uh, those students, some of them will go out and they'll go on to university and then they'll go out and get, uh, maybe they'll get advanced degrees. And I think I've had a few that have done that. Uh, but, um, and then I do this. So my impact doing this is much more pronounced than it would be at a, at a college. But when you teach as a professor of law in a professional school, right? So you're, you're one of the law professors at Harvard. Uh, and Harvard Law is one of the, I mean, most... Pr it, most prestigious law schools in the country. So you're going to see a new crop of law students. And if you teach constitutional law, you are going to form the opinions of the leading scholars, the leading law scholars in the United States. And of course, these law scholars are then going to go out and become judges. They're probably going to serve in the government somewhere. 
uh, AGs, solicitor general. They're going to do all kinds of things for the states, localities, and then also the federal government. And then maybe they get on the bench and they become judges. And so that has a tremendous impact on the future direction of the legal profession in the United States. A law professor can determine the direction of the United States. So this is why Joseph's story is so problematic, because his books are still read by law students. And if the Federalist Society, a group that's dedicated supposedly to supporting an originalist understanding of the Constitution, says that Joseph's story is their guy, well, we've just lost, right? Because now all these law professors, or law students, I should say, and some professors and some judges are going to think, well, Joseph's Federalist Society supports Joseph's story, so that's great. They're not even going to read James McClellan's book on Joseph's story, which takes that man down to a point where you would never want to call him an originalist. James McClellan uh, was a great law scholar, and this book on Joseph's story that he wrote was one of the best. I mean, one of the best... It's just fantastic. He takes apart Joseph's story, too, in a full-length book study of the man, where I do it in one chapter. Um, So you can read my one chapter, and then you can go out and get James McClellan's book on Joseph's story, where he just takes the man, uh, takes takes him apart, uh, you know, takes him to task. Uh, But if the Federalist Society says Joseph's story is good, well, then he's got to be good. This is going to be the impression. And, of course, uh, when you look at some of the scholars that have gotten received uh, this particular award, the uh, the Bader Award, you have Akhil Lamar, who received the award in 1993, and John Yu received the award in 2001. I would say that those are two of the greatest swindlers of originalism uh, in the United States. Um, so we have, I mean, this is this is the Federalist Society. Right now, there's a lot of good people that go to Federal Society events. I've had them contact me, and uh, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are, are Federal Society members, um, and it's a great organization. You've got a lot of good people involved in it. But what you also have is a con starting from the top down that somehow Joseph Story now is an originalist. And when you have people like Edwin Meese stand up and say, well, and Joseph Story is an originalist, well, who's going to go out and challenge Edwin Meese, right? As a law student or your professors, if your law professor stands up and says, Joseph Story is an originalist, and you're sitting there as in a captive audience in a law room, a law school uh, classroom uh, on your con law, who's going to say, you know what, professor, you're exactly, you're wrong, 100% wrong. Of course, you're not going to say that. You're going to just regurgitate whatever they say. And you're going to believe that Joseph Story is an originalist and that his commentaries on the Constitution are original thought. But uh, Joseph Story was more accurately a nationalist and a textualist. And that, that's, that's an important distinction to make. Textualism is not originalism. Textualism is saying, I'm going to read what it says, and then we're going to try to determine maybe what the meaning of those words were at the time it was written, but we're not going to go into the ratification debates. We're not going to look at any of that. We're not going to look for context. We're just going to look at the text itself and decide, okay, this is what it means. You can become an extreme uh, believer in, in the elastic living constitution through textualism. It, it's, it's highly possible because you can say, well, this is what it means. Uh, the words say what they mean, and this is what they this is what they mean now. A textualist is not necessarily an originalist. Uh, you can have originalists that are textualists as well, but um, if you're just saying you're a textualist, you don't really believe in the Constitution as ratified, which is important. It's an important distinction to make. Now, nationalism 
is also going to skew the way Joseph Story thinks about things. Nationalism is one of the most dangerous uh, ideas to come out of uh, the, the founding period. Uh, because the original Constitution is not a nationalist document. In fact, that very phrase, that very term was rejected both in Philadelphia and during the ratification debates. We did not have a national government. Yet what's going to happen over time is that we get a national government through the federal court system. And I actually, this is something I wrote in the book, and it's one of my, one of my uh, favorite paragraphs that I wrote um, in the entire book. And it's in this chapter. Quote, A cursory review of history would seem to support their claim, meaning that um, uh, that the states' rights position led to war. I mean, this is how you get it in history. States' rights led to war. A cursory uh, review of history would seem to support that claim. States' rights led to the war between the states, or so it is asserted. National solutions were necessary to maintain continuity and order, and states' rights became a fly in the ointment, the loose bolt in the flywheel that threatened to tear apart the Union into a thousand pieces. But what if this, if this history is turned on its head? What if historians, even conservative fellows like Marshall and Story, have unknowingly followed the Marxist sin of reading history in reverse and finding convenient bo- boogeyman to saddle with the burden of history? What if the great lie of national supremacy and implied powers that began with Hamilton in 1791 and was advanced by John Marshall in his court and Joseph Story in his commentaries was the leading factor in American political discord? What if nationalism and not states' rights led to the destruction of the Union in 1861 and the resulting political misery of the last 150 years? Story's ingenious, though incorrect, reading of American history in reverse— of infusing his advocacy for a national identity into American constitutional law has helped consolidate the nationalist myth in American history. It has not always been so, and Story knew it. His commentaries were expressly intended to drive a stake through the heart of Jeffersonian Republican view of American government, a view buttressed by the American experience of independence, the founding of the Union, and the eventual ratification of the Constitution. Like Hamilton and Marshall, Story lied. So, this is a very, these are very important questions to ask. We always look at history. Well, I mean, what we have here are these, these states' rights guys running around. What we have is Michael Bolden running around. He's a radical because he's saying things like the states can resist unconstitutional federal laws. I mean, that's radical. How dare he say that? This is, this is killing good government. We, we have the position that uh, when the southern states seceded from the Union, that destroyed the government. It didn't destroy anything. The United States government still existed, the court still existed, the treasury still existed, all that still existed. The army and the navy obviously still existed because the Union used it to coerce the southern states back into the Union. So uh, all that stuff was still there, the Congress was still there. You just didn't have uh, seven states originally and then eventually 13. But the government was somehow destroyed. See, this is the myth. It's the myth. And somehow then states' rights, Jeffersonianism was the, was, the, uh, was the problem. Really what was the problem was nationalism because it was the antithesis of what the founding generation intended the Constitution to be. If you go back and read the Philadelphia debates at the Philadelphia Convention, that idea of a national government was explicitly rejected. Expressly rejected. We did not have a national government. We had a federal republic, a union of states, just as under the Articles of Confederation. But yet, 
somehow that just goes away and we have a national government and then the, the people that support that position become the bad guys. They become the boogeymen. They become the people that don't know anything. The problem. As, uh, you know, it's ACDC, the problem child. Uh, so uh, this, is where, this is where understanding original intent matters because if you know this, then everything the general government does beyond that, even if you like it. See, here's the, I get this all the time. You know, I've got friends that say, golly, Dr. McClanahan, you know, I, I want to be an originalist or my friends want to be religi- relig- uh, originalist, excuse me. And then the Supreme Court issues a ruling that we like, whether it's you know for gun uh, for gun uh, rights or uh, whether it's for uh, asset forfeiture. We like those decisions. So I mean, why is that so bad? Why is nationalism so bad? Because yeah, you might get a couple of good ones, but you're going to get a hundred bad ones. So you take you 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 eliminate the the source of all that, which is nationalism. And yeah, you might have a couple of things that. Ah, the states are going to be uh, a little bit uh, problematic with, but you also have some things the states are going to do that are going to be great. They're going to be able to block some of this stupidity that's coming out of the general government and the federal courts. And of course, it comes down to better education. You know, this idea of of gun rights would not even be an issue had people if people actually believed in English civil liberties. I mean, it's it's a it's a foregone conclusion that you have the right to self-defense and whatever means necessary to do that. Um, whatever firearm you need to self for self-defense. You're going to have crazy lunatics out there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we see it all the time. Uh, but this was an inherent right. It was your right as an Anglo uh, in the Anglo-American tradition. doesn't matter who, where your people are from. I'm not Anglo-American. Uh, I have that because this is what was given to us, bequeathed to us by our forefathers, going all the way back to 1215. I know that uh, you know Jeff Sessions got in trouble for saying the Anglo-American tradition, but that's what it is. I mean, this is this is the uh, the situation. So um, we've got uh, certainly a uh, a a position that where you need to understand these things. Now, Joseph's story. Let's. Let's talk about Joseph Story. Uh, again, Joseph Story was appointed by James Madison in 1811, uh, and Madison would later regret it. Um, Joseph Story, though, wasn't necessarily a nationalist at the beginning. He was a wild card. He was young, in his 30s. Um, and the problem was that he became a disciple of John Marshall. You see, John Marshall took this young mind of mush, this Plato, and he molded it into a Marshall nationalist uh, and uh, and a, a young, essentially a young John Marshall. Um, now, his son, who wrote um, a biography of his father, said this, and I would disagree with his son, uh, because I don't think that Joseph Story was studying the Constitution. I said, oh, i become a nationalist because I studied the Constitution. No, what was happening is it was around John Marshall all the time, and John Marshall molded him into that. But his son said this, quote, Upon taking his seat on the bench, my father devoted himself to this branch of the law, and the result was a cordial adherence to the views of Marshall, whom he considered then and ever afterwards as the expounder of the true principles of the Constitution. Nor did this indicate so much a change as a formation of opinion. 
and it is no slight indication of his, in, of his independence and emancipation from the influence of party that he resigned upon careful study and examination into the history and principles of the Constitution, his early prejudices in favor of Mr. Jefferson's abstractions for a clear and practical doctrines of Marshall, for the clear and practical doctrines of Marshall. So uh, Jefferson's just abstract, but no, Marshall is clear and practical. Actually, it's the other way around. Uh, Jefferson wasn't dealing in abstractions. The Jeffersonians, St. George Tucker, uh, John Taylor of Caroline, they're not dealing in abstractions. They're dealing in reality. This is what the original documents said. This is how the founders said the, con the ratifiers would be interpreted when it was ratified. That's not abstractions. That's reality. It's reality. Um, now, so when you look at, and, and I go through the commentaries in in quite a lot of detail here, but um, the problem with Joseph's story is where he starts interpreting the founding period. I mean, that really is where it comes down to, the problem with this. Um, as I say, story's summary of the founding of the British North American colonies was fairly accurate. That is until he began expounding on the nature of the Union created during the American War for Independence. Story conceded that the colonies had no direct political connection with each other and each, in a limited sense, sovereign within its own territory. They had independent legislatures and could not pass any law or privilege that affected any other colony in North America. But then Story concocted a striking myth of American nationalism. These independent colonies somehow comprised one people. Quote, Although the colonies were independent of each other in respect to their domestic concerns, they were not wholly alien to each other. On the contrary, they were fellow subjects, and for many purposes, one people. If this is true, then every bit of growling about by the states' rights Jeffersonians against national supremacy suffered from one, from insufficient historical evidence. If Americans were one people, then national supremacy was an extension of the American experience born during the colonial period when every American was a common subject of the King of Great Britain. But then Story takes that a step further. He concluded that the people of the colonies formed the first and second continental congresses, not through their respective colonies, but as one people, with the de facto and de jure sovereign authority of a supreme governing body. In one stroke of the pen, Story obliterated colonial lines and discovered the origins of national supremacy of his day. Those rascally states' rights partisans have been lying to the constituents the entire time. To Story, the Union predated the American War for Independence, and that Union was of people, not states. Story ever also con uh, contradicted his own claim by, of popular national supremacy just a few sentences later. He wrote that the voting in this new National Assembly would be conducted by colony, not delegate, meaning each colony had one equal vote no matter how many men it sent to Philadelphia. This obliterated his claim that the Continental Congress somehow represented the people and not the colonies and later states, but Story knew once he created the nationalist narrative that he had to run with it, even if the evidence worked against his conclusions. So this is the, the core of, of course, this, this nationalist myth that we had one people, not a whole bunch of colonies or states, that one people created the Constitution. It's a myth. It's a myth. Stories helping create this. Um, Story then doubled down on his nationalist myth of the American founding. In the first place, he dreamed antecedent to the Declaration of Independence, none of the colonies were or pretended to be sovereign states in the sense in which the term sovereign is sometimes applied to states. Story decided that, strictly speaking, in our republican forms of government, the absolute sovereignty of the nation is in the people of the nation, and the residuary sovereignty of each state, not granted to any of its public functionaries, is in the people of the state. This may seem to be a rather benign statement of fact. He was correct that the people of the state had sovereignty. But Story carefully chose his words. If the states could be reduced to little more than a collection of people within a geographic boundary, 
or an administrative subdivision of the general government, as the Supreme Court had done in McCulloch v. Maryland, Fletcher v. Peck, Martin v. Hunters Lee C., and Cohen's v. Virginia, then every claim to state sovereignty was built on a foundation made of shifting stand instead of bedrock. Now, he uh, that one first of all I, I take this apart too if you if you get my American Constitutions class at McClanahan Academy I do all of this there as well and also the Hamilton class I mean I go into this one people myth of American history but I want to in the last couple of minutes here I have creating the one people myth is so important and um, we don't have utopia for utopians right as uh, as Abel Upshur said we don't have that we don't have a utopia for utopians. Uh, we, we don't have an American people. We have the people of the states. And one thing story is going to ingeniously do is flip the ratification debates on their head. Because what he does is take the opponents of the Constitution, people like Brutus, people like George Mason, and he's going to say, people like an old Whig, he's going to say that these people said we had a national government, that the Constitution created a supreme national government, that the Constitution created essentially an elected king, that the Constitution created uh, would destroy the states, or at least render the states subservient to the central authority. The Constitution did all those things, and so Joseph Story says they're exactly right. That's what the Constitution did. It's ingenious. Here we have the anti-federalists, quote-unquote anti-federalists, which is the wrong way to describe them. Here we have these anti-federalists saying that the Constitution creates a national government, and voila, they're 100% correct. You see, uh, there is the pure evidence that we have a national government. Now, what he's leaving out of all of that is that the, all those charges that the Constitution uh, destroyed the states, the Constitution created a national government, the Constitution created an elected king, all these things, all those statements were directly refuted by the friends of the Constitution, those who supported the document and said these things are not true. That's the Constitution that was ratified, not the one that the opponents of the document said would happen, but the one that the friends of the document, the proponents of it. That's the Constitution that was ratified by the founding generation. It would not have been ratified any other for, in, in any other way. So you see, Joseph's story is ingeniously taking the opponents of the document and saying these people are the real expounders of constitutional thought. Not the people that sat in the ratifying conventions and made speeches in favor of it that said, we're not obliterating the states, the, sent the powers of the not Not James Wilson, who in the first public speech in support of the document says, you know what? The central government only has the powers delegated to it. That's it. Expressly delegated to it. That's it. That's all we've got. Uh, everything else is left to the states. And there isn't a whole lot in the Constitution that's delegated to the central authority or granted to it. Uh, and that's that's where uh, in Article One says all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a, a Congress of the United States. All legislative powers herein granted, uh, not not some. That doesn't mean some goes to the executive branch and some go to the ju judicial branch. All legislative powers herein granted, herein granted. All everything else is left outside of that. Anything is not granted. So Joseph Story is, is not an originalist. Joseph Story is a swindler. He's an opportunist. And it's unfortunate that the Federalist Society has decided to put an award after him. So if you're in the Federalist Society and you want to make a stink about it, make a stink about it. 
Um, I think that it should be. Somebody should bring this up and say, you know, he's not really an originalist. Uh, and there should be a debate on this. Joseph Story is not an originalist. Um, and if you want to read my chapter on it, I go into a lot more detail. You also get that James McClellan book on Joseph Story because it's good. Uh, and it, it takes apart Joseph's story as well. But I'm up against the wall here, so I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.